give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. This week's podcast is brought to you by Playerfit. Playerfit provide you with the best apparel so you can emulate your heroes on and off the field. Best technical fabric, it absorbs sweat rapidly and moves it to the surface where it can evaporate and dry. Affordable prices with low minimum quantity needed to order. Bespoke gear designed to the customer's needs. A four-week turnaround from order. Hassle-free online club shop with the benefit of using it as a fundraiser. And if people want more information, they can contact Tyg. Tyg's email is tyg at playerfit.com. Right, okay, so welcome everybody. So tonight we're joined with Paul and Massey as always. Hi, lads. Are you going on, Manny? Okay. How are things? And I'd like to say we've got Mr. Noel McNamara involved in, here with us tonight. So thanks very much, Noel, for coming on. Very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, so look, I suppose first of all, same question we ask everyone is just give a quick background on yourself. I suppose you've had a, a colourful route to your current position. So you might just, I suppose, give us a quick rundown on that if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, certainly uh, have a, a colourful route, I suppose, probably the best description for us. Um, I think I'm often quoted as, as saying a, a very accidental coach and, and certainly uh, very much an accidental rugby coach. Um, you know, I wasn't wasn't involved in rugby when I was younger or, or didn't play. So, you know, probably through a, a series of events, as much as anything else, I've, I found myself where I am. Um, you know, I got involved um, largely in, in coaching uh, through through uh, PJ Smith in, in, in UL, got involved in, in Glenstall Abbey from there into Clongos. And I suppose there really from, you know, a series of of, uh, of different teams from uh, from the Clangos under 13s um, through to Clangos SCT um, and you know the UCD uh, AIL team Irish schools Irish 20s um, to uh, yeah current role with the the Leinster Academy so um, yeah I think there's a a great phrase show me a good coach and I'll show you good players uh, which I often quote uh, it was quoted to me by uh, a guy called Jerry Murphy once. And uh, yeah, I've been very, very lucky, you know, from that first under 14 team I had in Glenstall Abbey, which contained the young Duncan Casey right through to, you know, a number of, of professional rugby players now at this stage that uh, I would be lucky enough to be involved with. So yeah, been a, a very, very checkered route, but uh, yeah, very enjoyable uh, as well, I, I would certainly say. So um, yeah, here I am. Very good. And like, I suppose like just from my perspective, I see rugby as a fairly technical sport. And to say that you had little or no playing experience and you're able to get into the coaching side um like how did you find that transition yeah so I, I suppose it is like I, I think obviously you know my background is in teaching um so you know i am i am a p teacher so i definitely think there's an element of that um you know i, I would certainly come from the school of of you know teaching and coaching are, are very very much linked together um and, and probably even more so p teaching you know around the I suppose the the pedagogy of coaching, most of it would be based in, um, you know, originally at some point in, in P teaching. I think the other thing I would say is, you know, coaching is about people. It's about you know working with people and dealing with people, and and you know certainly in terms of of uh, of, of the ages that I've been involved with, it's about unearthing the potential in people. So you know, I suppose th- those were were two areas that. I was interested in and, and uh, you know, two areas where I suppose I probably had a little bit of a head start in, um, I, uh, you know, and, and I, I guess I just learned the game, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to describe really, to be honest, Colin, you know, the, the game made sense, uh, you know, and, 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 that, and that's probably from pretty much from, from the get go, really, you know, and I, I was very lucky, you know, some of the people that would have been involved with would be considered very, very innovative. Um, you know, you, I've already mentioned PJ Smith, you, you know, he was just a, an incredible, you know, remarkable man who unfortunately is no longer with us, but, you, you know, we're talking about the late nineties, PJ would have been talking about, 
you know, the 15 man game and, and uh, multi skilled forwards, multi skilled backs, having the ability to kick off both feet, the ability to pass off both, off both sides. Um, you know, he would have been showing me gym programs that he ran with Gary Owen in the 70s when, you know, lifting weights was absolutely unheard of. And, you know, I probably carried through from there. Uh, as I said, I was very lucky with some of the people that I worked at. I also worked in, let's be honest, some very good environments, you know, some very good learning environments. Um, you know, and Glenn Stahl was one of those where I worked with people who were very, very passionate about what they did. Um, you know, Klongo's uh, certainly, you know, very much the same, uh, same, same scenario, you know, and you look at some of the coaches that have come through there, uh, you know, Michael Shield would be a very famous one. Uh, you know, he's inducted into our few Hall of Fame having, having not played. Um, there's also Vinnie Murray who, you know, one of the senior cup competitions in Leinster is named after, um, you know, Vinny w- would have been considered, uh, again, you know, he's a Gaelic footballer from from uh, from Offaly, but, you know, would have been considered a fantastic coach in his time. So I, I think it was an environment that lended itself and, and lends itself um, probably to, to the journey that I took. Um, and, and then, you know, even within Clongos itself, I was very lucky with some of the people I worked with, uh, Adam Lewis in particular, somebody that I probably learned an awful lot. And, and then, you know, I, I got lucky, got opportunities at the right time, I suppose. Yeah, excellent. And uh, look, the film you've chosen is Hoosiers. What made you pick this movie? Other than all the other good movies are gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly is, uh, is a challenge. You've always been going for a while now and uh, you've an awful lot of them hoovered up at this stage. But yeah, I, I think one, one thing that attracted me to you, I, I had, uh, you know, remembered watching it a long time ago and uh, you know, I was racking my brains. I, I suppose one, it, it's, it's based in, in, uh, in high school sport. Um, which obviously is something that you know I spent a long time in, um, you know, eleven years coaching in in um, in, in in secondary school uh, secondary school rugby. So you know that was something that uh, that really appealed to me. Uh, you know that there there is a great story entwined in, in, in there as well. You know, in, in particular, and and, and uh, you know, I suppose in particular the main theme obviously is is probably the redemption of uh, of the head coach. But there's a lot of different sub teams and and, uh, and and different bits and pieces uh, in the movie to give a lot of. Uh, a lot of richness and a lot of depth as well, I suppose, that's, uh, that really appealed to me. So, yeah, and it's, it's hard to beat a, a feel-good ending as well. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of positives to the movie. And, and uh, to be honest, I, I enjoyed watching it, uh, you know, even even without the context of, of coming on here to chat to you lads about it. Paul Massey, thoughts on the film? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it kind of ticked a lot of them boxes for that kind of formulaic sports film of couple of bad things happen at the start kind of that bit of that bit of conflict etc things start going well they win but like as Noel said there's there's a load of sub teams throughout it that maybe we haven't seen with, with some of the other some of the other films and I suppose how how Norman Dale dealt with a lot of them was was really interesting and and, and intriguing you know um just a couple of a couple of instances that we'll we we'll get to that. I just really liked how he went about his business. Like he 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 was very throughout it, he was kind of very assured in his own philosophy and his own plan. And that was evident. But by the end of the film and the very last play of the film, he was kind of he had enough humility to go, geez, you know, I'm wrong, and went with what the player said. So he kind of learned through, he had his idea of what he wanted to get through. He, he, he got the players to do that. And then it kind of came a little bit full circle at the end, which I, which I liked. Yeah, I enjoyed the film as well. I thought it was, I thought there was no real bullshit in it, if you get me. It was like, it moved along at a good, reasonable pace. It didn't get wrapped up too long in subplots or anything like that. I thought it was a good movie. There's a lot of learnings from it. And you could see that a lot of modern day sports films pay homage to the film. Yeah, and it is. I think it, it does set it up for a lot of the current movies. You can see similarities in some of the teams. Like I'm just thinking with like the first one was when the two lads left uh, the gym at the first training session. I'm just thinking Coach Carter straight away. And, you know, there was a couple of other ones along the way. But I suppose, look, one of the first things that came out, and it was actually, herself said it to me, I made herself watch it with me, and she said, uh, why are they trying to get rid of him as coach? And I was trying to explain in the kind of parochialism that would, that would be in some sports about an outsider, um, somebody not seen as their own, and how that would start to trans- transition to make life difficult for coaches in some, in some capacities. And, like, 
you yourself have a small bit of an experience in, the, in that known as well like you know like, and I say outsider like you're, you're, you wouldn't be you're the, the blue blood of rugby let's say going up through the roles yeah, I, I suppose I, I kind of alluded to the, at, at the start, Colm, you know, I, I've been pretty lucky in terms of, of the environments uh, that, that I've come into and, and uh, you know, the people that are there. But I think there's definitely a, a certain element of truth in that. And, I, you know, I've spoken about this before. I, I think, you know, the reality is being a, a professional player, I, th I think it does give a certain credibility or whether that be in any sport, really. I think it gives a credibility and I think it, it probably provides an opportunity. It doesn't provide much more than that, though. You know, and, and the reality is, once you go into any any team or, or or anything else, like you've got to be able to stand in your own two feet, and you're going to be judged on ultimately, you know, what you do and and, and what you produce, and and that would certainly have been my philosophy, and, and certainly would have been very much my belief in any of the teams that are, that are, that I've been involved in. Um, you know, so I think um, one, you know, if you believe it's an issue or you don't, you're probably right. So, you know, for me, it, it never has been something that I've dwelled on or it never has been something that really that's, uh, you know, I, I, I've considered important. For me, it's about wherever, wherever I've gone, whatever team I've been involved in, it's about, you know, it's about going in, it's about working hard. Ultimately, it's about building a connection with the players and, and it's about trying to become, you know, and, and this, is, this is cliched, but like it's trying to become, you know, something great that's greater than the sum of its parts. And, and uh, you know, that's that's ultimately, I think, uh, what, what it's about. And, you know, I, I certainly think it is important. I, I've probably, um, you know, been, been very lucky, but I wouldn't have experienced, um, I wouldn't have experienced uh, too much of, of what Norm uh, did there, but I certainly would have seen some around the parents. And, and I, I think it's a really important point. And, and, you know, I've had discussions with parents and, and uh, you know, I've spoken to different groups groups of different different younger groups around you know ultimately players have enough coaches what they need parents to be is need to be mum and dad and they need to support them and they need to love them unconditionally and uh, they need to recognize that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to fuck up and they're going to do this and that and the other and uh, I think that was something that really fascinated me around the uh, you know the, the start of the movie was just how heavily involved um, that side of things are and you know I'm, I'm coming from a, an area where I know there are parents committees and everything else and uh, you know it, it's just a uh, an area of of, uh, of that you know that age or high school or, or second level sport that makes me slightly uneasy uh, when parents try to live their lives vicariously through their their children. Yeah, you know, and just as you talk about it there and, and parents being parents, like so the them two the two lads who who left early and then one of them was kind of marched back to the session by by his dad to get back involved. Like that parent parented. He wasn't involved with deciding or dictating what norm went and done. And and I suppose that's what you're looking for from the parent. Get back involved there and then he's getting the rest of the parents away to behave like parents. And like getting back to that that first scene and I, I think it was in, in, in the barber shop and like they, they were like they were like a lynch party. Yeah. Um and it was all like this town doesn't like much change. Like this is the type of defense we play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like that wasn't successful for them. That's that kind of stuck in a rut stuff. And like I just liked how Norm dealt with that as well. He didn't go on the attack. He kind of took it on board and goes, "Yeah, see us now," and just walked out without any much of a, a kind of a kerfuffle or whatever you call it. Uh, he like. You mentioned there briefly, Paul, to start there. Norm had this, I know he's experienced, but he also had a confidence about himself, didn't he? The way he carried himself and held himself. And he wasn't upset about, say, the pressure being put on from parents or put on from the school, etc. And I think sometimes as a coach, you just have to not worry about outsiders, the outside noise, as we, re we referenced in a previous film before. I thought he was brilliant at that. Yeah, one of the things I really liked lads as well was like, you know, when the two lads went to leave, so you've got seven players and uh, two lads went to leave. It's just like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll play with five. Um, you know, it wasn't, oh my God, you have to stay. Like, you know, we need you here. Or like, I just, for me, and, and it didn't, what I wrote down at the time was, uh, you know, make the environment someplace that people want to be. And, uh, you know, without explicitly saying that, uh, that's really what I felt he was going about doing. You know, it was even when, when Jimmy, uh, you know, obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't involved and wasn't playing and everybody was highlighting the importance of, of having him involved, it wasn't, at no point did he go and, and uh, try and convince him to, to be involved. 
but he created an environment where, you know, one, Jimmy did want to become involved, you know, as it evolved. And also the lads that left wanted to come back, which, uh, you know, I thought, I thought was brilliant, really. And I think it's one of the things in, in youth sport in particular, more so than, than any other age group, is the kind of pandering to those kind of players, let's say, that might not want to be there. And we try to make allowances, you know, say, Jesus, look, Paul, you know, you don't look, what can we do to make to get you back, you know? And sometimes Paul just doesn't want to be there and he has no interest in being there. But a lot of the time, like, and I presume you'd, like, I, I don't know from your own experience in schools now and stuff like that, but I'd have seen it in the last couple of years more so where you've got players now really accomplished in their code, whatever it is, and they're kind of saying, no, I'm not complaining. And all of a sudden, it's like the world has ended for everybody else around involved with the team. Like, you know, sure, he was a cock under 16 or he was a cock minor, and now he won't play. And a lot of the time, we, do, we, do we make too much of a fuss with them players? Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a really fine line, isn't it? Like, but I I I I talk to people all the time about things like this. They're like, oh, I've got a really difficult uh, player, and uh, you know, he's having a, a toxic uh, you know impact on other people, or you know, but he's very talented and he's really important, or you know, he's he's you know someone who's very significant in the parish has been really important for the team. What do you think I should do? It's like, you've already answered your own question, really. Like, you know, you're you're trying to to convince yourself that you should convince seem to stay or, or, or whatever else so you know with the younger players I, I think it is slightly different column I, I think you know we, we would use a phrase sometimes or it, it's not about showing them up it's trying to show them the way and uh, you know I, I certainly think with, with, with some of the younger lads um, we would we would work hard at, at trying to um, I suppose you know help them and, and, and help them you know maybe understand or, or, or see the, the error of their ways but sometimes you know we, we talk about uh, you know talent ID or talent selection and talent confirmation all these different terms but for me selection is the most important one and if you keep selecting someone even though they're, they're really talented right if you if you keep selecting them no matter what you're saying you are you know subconsciously or, or whatever whatever the, the, the phrase might be you know confirming what they're doing. You're, you're reaffirming what they're doing. So at some point along the line, they have to be deselected or they're not selected because then, you know, that's ultimately probably their, their best opportunity. And, and I've done it, you know, at, at different levels at our school's level, um, you know, the, the guy went on and he signed a professional contract now, but he wasn't picked for the art schools because, you know, some of the behaviors and, and, you know, some of what he was doing ultimately in the long run, wasn't going to do him any favors in the short term. We picked up some pain because, you know, he probably would have helped us to win, win some of those games. But, you know, I think you have to ultimately be prepared to, to, to make the best decision. And, and in the long run, and, and I've had conversations with lots of these guys who weren't picked or, or maybe, you know, whatever else. And, and you would hope at some point, um, you know, as long as it's done in the right way and as long as there's clear and open communication, because I, I think that's a lot of the mistake as well, uh, you know, that, that's made is that, that there isn't clear and, and honest feedback um, and, and that's something, you know, what, what we're probably on and I'm on a little bit of a tangent here, but like that's something, Column, and, and I'd be interested whether the lads have a view on this, but like, I just think that feedback uh, piece is something that, that is not done as, as well as it should be at, at, you know, particularly some of the younger ages, you know, I get a lot of guys at 19, 20 now is probably when I start to, to come across them and they're not used to dealing with critical feedback. They're not, they're used to being, you know, told that you're awesome. You are, you know, you're the best player in your school, you're the best player in your club, you're the best player in your county, you're the best player in your province. And unfortunately, no matter how good they are, there's someone better. And there are areas that they need to develop and there are areas and, and they really struggle with that. And, and, you know, if their self-esteem and their identity become so tied into being the best or being whatever, it, it, it just becomes such a, a, an internal struggle. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on to, you know, our coaches and, and um, you know, the people that, that we've involved in our patio all the time about just trying to be better around feedback. And e even things like um, we've become so reliant on video. I'll tell you when I've had a look at the video or, you know, well, this is what the stats are saying. I, I think there's a lot of crutches around, around feedback as well. Um, you know, so, yeah, interested whether... Yeah, you know what? There's a couple. There's two points there. I'd I'd kind of add to that. You know, and I there's there's a community of practice of, of coaches I'm involved in, and one of the coaches talked about, and and there was a kind of a session around delivering feedback, and he talked about framing the negative feedback 
to a person in terms of the potential and the level you think they can get to. I'm giving you this feedback because one, I think you're able to take it. And two, I think you have the ability to go much further. You have the ability to be, to be much better than, than, than you're currently showing. And then that kind of frames it a little bit differently, that negative feedback that I'm giving it to you I'm giving it to you because you're not yet at the level I think you should be. And the second thing you talked about video potentially being a crutch for the coach. I'll come back to you when I have a look at the video. I think it's nearly better for the players to go and have a look at the video, to have it, to see where they're at and for themselves to give themselves feedback and then you can add layers onto it because then you're gaining an understanding of, of what their, um, we'll say, cognitive ability to take on information is. Is it really basic and you need to get, get down to a really low level to engage with them? Or are they critical and you need to be positive? Or are they too positive and you need to be critical? So I think that really needs to be a collaborative process, the feedback. The player needs to be willing to dissect themselves at the level you're talking about yeah i i, I definitely uh, agree with that paul and, and uh you know having the ability to to analyze is, is really important what, what we would have probably discovered over the last while is we're, we're trying to shorten the feedback loops and we're trying to close the gap between what you know maybe maybe what what we're seeing and maybe what the, the players are seeing and, and you know one of the things we would have done with the 20s in, in recent times is you know, we would have changed completely how we approached halftime and post-game. You know, at halftime, it was very much a conversation. It was very much asking questions. It was very much, uh, you know, we used to sit in small semicircles and, uh, you know, at the end, the players delivered a message. And then immediately post-game, we used to do a hot review. So the hot review was basically, okay, what do you think, lads? You know, we, we analysed the game there. And then, again, collectively asking questions um, and we tied together at the end. And we tried to see, well, how close is that hot review to a cold review where you actually have had time to go and look at it. And, you know, at the start of that whole season, if you like, it was pretty significant, but they got better at it. It's definitely something that they can, uh, they can develop and evolve. And some of it, I suppose, is if you don't have the opportunity to borrow your opinion from other people. And I, I say that with the best will in the world, you know, the lads go and they'll read whatever's on the 42, or they'll read what's on Twitter, they'll hear what, you know, mum and dad has to say maybe they'll hear what the agent has to say and then all of a sudden that's their opinion on the game um, so trying to I suppose shorten those but I, I would definitely agree uh, with your point around the lads you know going themselves and having a point of view and it, it needs to be uh, one of the, the main things I've learned is I spent uh, three months in New Zealand and, and worked with, uh, with uh, a team down there and one of the things they had was you know one-to-one -one feedback was everything so if it meant that you would can a team session or a collective session or a collective video review, then they would do that. Um, you know, it was just in the first team meeting, I gave some feedback to one of the players who came to me afterwards. He played for the Maori All Blacks. He played for the Chiefs. And he said, listen, all, I want your feedback. I never want it in front of people again. I never want it delivered in front of my teammates. So I definitely want to hear it, but I don't want it like that. Um, and, and again, like, you know, you can't just say, well, this is the way I deliver the feedback. So you're going to take it whatever way I want to give it to you. Um, you know, I think it has to be what works for, for, for that person that you're giving it to. And exactly what you said, uh, Paul, uh, what do they need? Because some people will fill it themselves and everything, you know, that was horrendous performance. I was terrible. Uh, when the reality was, well, you know, it's never as good as you thought it was. And it's probably never as bad as you thought it was either. Two things there, Noel. Uh, when you're talking about your hot feedback there, have you got somebody recording that, uh, like writing down there and then, or what ways you work it? Um, I'll tell you what, what we've done, Monty, is we've actually video recorded this. Um, so, you know, we have a video in the corner set up in, 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 the, in the changing room, and, and we'd be looking at, well, what was said. We'd have two videos, actually. We, we'd go forwards and backs, um, yeah. and uh, there'd be one on each. Um, and, and then, you know, we, the team would come together, um, so generally speaking, that would be just, just questions, um, you know, and, and again, one of the things I would have been really guilty of in the past is like, I, I would be quite, uh, blue if we were to talk about the insights, uh, you know, so I'd be thinking, you know, what did you yeah. think? What you, and then sometimes no one would say anything. It's like, of course, cause you didn't think anything. You just felt it. 
And uh, so you're trying to ask a variety of, well, what did you feel or, you know, what, what did you see in that situation or, or so on? So, um, yeah, I, I would take some notes in that uh, as well. And, and uh, you know, but yeah, it, it would be recorded. So we would have the opportunity to go back and, and, and look through it. But it's definitely, we, we did it over the course of the Celtic Cup campaign as well with, with the Leinster A team. And it's definitely something that we felt we narrowed the gap between, we, we actually it was a, a, an SAS guy came into to Leinster and uh, he spoke about doing it um, in Afghanistan. So he said after, a, you know, they have a, a mission and, you know, they're talking about some pretty important matters there in terms of people living and not living. Um, and, uh, you know, it was something that they, they placed a real emphasis on. So it's something we felt we, we could learn, um, we could learn from. Um, it's probably, you know, the seniors wouldn't do it. You know, we're lucky in a sense that we're in a development environment. So, you know, people's, not everybody's relying on, on the result on the weekend. So, you know, we, we've got the opportunity to try different things like that. But definitely one of the things that um, I, I, I found, um, yeah, I definitely think there was value in it, to be honest, Matty, yeah. Very good. And then the second thing there was, in terms of the, the New Zealand Maori player, did he think it was uh, himself that the feedback was a criticism rather than feedback in front of players? And it's just a case of getting to know the individual of what way they want their feedback given to them yeah absolutely he, he just like you know there's an Irish thing like and I know I say it all the time I said lads listen you know this feedback isn't intended as criticism this is intended as an opportunity for us to collectively get better but he just didn't he just didn't want it in, in that manner um, and and to be honest you know we had a there was a big discussion while I was over there around announcing the team um you know, he, he didn't want, like, there was a couple of guys didn't want the team announced, you know, and again, like, my experience of announcing to the team is, you know, it's a team, um, but he, he didn't want that, you know, he wanted um, before, it, it, you know, to be given prior warning, basically, he wanted an opportunity to process uh, if he wasn't going to be in, in the starting 15, um, and again, like, it was probably really good learning for me, because I, I, to be honest, you know, it's not something that would have considered a huge amount previously um you know and then there was a discussion around well do we announce the team in a different format do we have us in in just in the units we announce the starting unit team do we announce whereas you know i, I would in the I would name starting team as like oh, ben should be announced on thursday mm. you know and uh it, it's just probably having a, a better understanding of how people react in these scenarios and you know when, when you look back at a week and you think you know, because it's such small margins sometimes, isn't it? You know, yeah. well, the fullback put the ball down three times. Well, actually, you know, he was really stung by the feedback he gave him on Tuesday and he was really upset by the way the team was announced on Thursday. So if, if you've got, you know, so I definitely think building that connection, getting to know people better. Um, and, and then, you know, some, sometimes, you know, you just got to get on with it. And uh, that's, uh, I get that as well. And I suppose that's some of the, you know, we talk about coaching as, as art versus science, um, you know, some of that is is the art piece, I guess. Very good. And just just coming back to them them hot reviews again, I personally would probably struggle doing that after a match where we needed to win and we didn't win. You know that kind of a way, uh, or there was a certain amount of instances happened in it that, like you know, like something could happen towards the end of the game that just biases our our view on the whole game. You know. Like, did you have to, like, like emotionally, do you have to be really tuned in to manage that sort of that hot review situation? Yeah, I, th I think you learn a bit about yourself as well, Paul. Like, you know, like uh, some of some of the stuff I look back and I think, geez, no, you, you weren't right there. Like, you know, and I've, I've gone in on the ref or I've gone in on 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 different scenarios. I've I've, I've gone in on players, um, you know, not intentionally or not in a, in a, a, a very overt way, but like you definitely have to, it's pretty important time, I would say, pretty important coaching time because it sets a lot of the temperature, particularly for like, I'm talking about guys that are 19, 20. So like how they feel leaving that changing room and, and bear in mind, uh, like we're rocking in on Monday and we're playing France. So like, it's not as if we can, uh, you know, have a week to get it out of our system and then maybe another week to get it back right again. And you got pretty short turnarounds. Like we changed as well, Paul, like we, we, we started keeping the lads in after the game. So we used to go home after the game. Now, again, I'm, I'm you know, very aware that this can't be the scenario for, for lots of people, but we actually started doing the reviews the following day, pretty intense for coaches, but we just found if we could put it to bed, put the game to bed, 
Um, then it allowed us on Monday morning. So what I was finding my first year was I was coming in Monday morning. We were doing the review of the game from the previous week. So if it was negative, there's lots of bits and pieces you're trying to get navigate through that. We're then doing the individual one-to-ones on Tuesday and the units on Tuesday. And then we're starting to try and look towards a game that we're playing on Friday, which was bonkers, really. So I just think the the positives significantly outweigh the negatives in a short turnaround scenario, which is what predominantly uh you know, we were dealing with with the twenties in particular, and and also that Celtic Cup campaign, um, and you know, just allowed us to turn the page, uh, and and uh, you know, a little bit quicker. Did it? Did we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Were there times when I'm looking at the video saying, oh, you know, but what that allowed me to do was, if you're thinking, you know, geez, I got my message wrong there. Well, it allows you to manage the message first thing Monday morning, or it allows you to pick up the phone on the Sunday and say. Actually, do you know what, fella? Uh, you know, I, I, I went too hard there. I was wrong, and I, I think having the ability to do that, I think, helps as well. Um, you know, so, and and again, this isn't something you, like I can't imagine. It depends if you have a forty-game season. I can't imagine you're going to do it for for forty games. But I definitely think it's worthwhile doing. I think you learn a lot about yourself, and I do think you know self-control as a coach and again loads of people will be laughing when uh, maybe when I'm saying that uh, if if uh, if they're listening but I, I do think it is important because um, you know your ability to I suppose just to set the tone immediately post game is is pretty significant because if you don't set it someone else will excellent one of the one of the first things that I thought was actually interesting I suppose it just shows I suppose the evolution of coaching and the evolution that we'd see let's say or, or think we see would be the player input and Norm benched one of his players very early because the player had an input into what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing on the, on the court and like looking at that now you begin to go jeez they were awful dinosaurs back in the day you know but but that's what coaching was for a lot of people it was just top down there was no two way feedback um, how would you see the evolution of that in the last the last like in the last 10 years even has it be has it become much more, or let's say, because of setting urine, it was it was a bit more like that anyway. Um, but is that sort of player empowerment, where the players can have an input into stuff, becoming much more to the fore recently? Yeah, I, I think it is. Like, I think um, I, I probably, you know, again, if I go back to the New Zealand experience, I was probably very lucky in in the sense that that, that is very common over there, uh, and uh, that was. You know, I did my first presentation on on uh, on the fence, and uh, I had 20, 20 slides, and I was told uh, three max. And even at that, uh, I started presenting, and uh, the number is a guy called Hapakuki Moala Leava, and he fell asleep on my second slide. Um, and, and that that was just you know that, that it just wasn't the way it was done. Uh, you know, and, and you could you could present seventy slides to uh, you know to an Irish under eighteen school, and they'd be taking notes, and they'd be but like. Are they learning? I, I, I don't really know, you know, so like certainly that, uh, you know, so the, the, the model is, is quite different. The model is, you know, uh, you present to a group of players and then the players go and they present to the rest of the team. So, you know, we had a, a, an attack group, a defence group and, and a transition group. And, and uh, you know, I used to meet with that, that group. I, I would be in contact with them over the weekend, you know, would be flicking a message over, over, over and back. Uh, you know, the captain of defence was, was actually an all black uh, called James Parsons, who, who was a hooker for the Blues. Uh, fantastic guy. And, and, you know, it was very much a case of, I don't want to say you're selling it to those guys, but like that is kind of initially what, what, what is happening. You know, we're coming to an agreement that this is what's best for the team defensively on the review and on the preview. And, you know, the players are the ones to get up in front of the team and then present. Um, and again, that, that's a model that we would have used with the, with the 20s, um, you know, pr- pretty much uh, what we would have described there. And, and just in terms of, I suppose, the confidence that it gives them and they certainly have more buy-in to what they're doing, you, you know, and, and, you know, you could you can pull it back. Well, always, you decide on these clips or, you know, the theme for the week is, is uh, you know, you guys decided on it, basically. Uh, so I, I do think you get increased buy-in um, as a consequence of that. I, I do think there's a way as well, Colin, like, you know, you mentioned in the movie, but I think the way that player approached the coach was poor initially because, you know, as the movie evolved, I thought it towards the end of the movie, you know, when the players changed, well, actually, let's give it to Jimmy. 
you know, it was a slightly different way that they went about. And, and uh, you know, I, I thought that so there is a way of doing it as well. I don't think the players can just, um, you know, this is what we're doing. Let, let's go. You know, this is player ownership and this is player empowerment. Um, I, I, I don't think it can be like that. And, and I think it has to be earned as well. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it, it's really important that, um, you know, there is a process in place and, and uh, you know, that that's, I suppose, that that ownership or whatever phrase, you know, people talk about involvement, player-centred, uh, you know, in many ways are all just words, really. Like, it, it's about what does it actually look like? But it, it has to be earned by the players. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think if you get it right, though, it is very, very powerful. Um, I remember in, in again, this is going back to when I coached our schools, but I left um, I left a, a 20 minute segment in the sessions blank and uh, I used to let the players decide what we did in it. So with a leadership group um, and uh, Scott Penny actually uh, was was uh, was one of them. But it's a couple of lads not really applying themselves. And Scott Penny, he was a 17 year old uh, at the time. He went mental. He's like, that's we decided what we're doing here. Like we've been given the freedom to do it. Let's, let's do it. And, you know, really got stuck into them, but like 20 times more effective than if a coach was doing it, you know, and, and it very much was a case of, you know, we could lose this, which, you know, we really enjoy having an input and having the ability to decide what we're doing. Let's make sure we make the most of it. Did you have to, did you get them free, free reign there? Or did you try to sort of like say, like that one say strong character or dominate that 20 minute period they were doing this for and might be for the sake of him did you try to like push them into a certain no. way of thinking there no yeah I suppose it, it would be lads listen you know we're we're, we're doing something defence or we want to do something defence oriented what do we think is is uh, is going to best equip us here and then there'd be a bit okay well I think we could do some of this and maybe we could do some of this uh, so they, they would decide what we do ultimately then the coaches coaches but the players feel more invested in it um, you know, and obviously, you know, he would have been one of the defensive leaders in the team anyway. So he would have been even more invested in. I don't know if you, if you uh, remember watching Australia in the in the uh, the Hallison days of the nineties or, or the early two thousands. But George Gregan, if you ever watched George Gregan, whenever they conceded a try, he used to be going mental. And I always wondered what is going on here. Like, well, like why is he so invested? And it, it turned out he was the captain of their defence. And he used to be filthy when they conceded points because, you know, he used to drive a lot of that and, 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 and so on. So I, I do think if you can, you know, and it's not it's not always all of them, but if there are players that are a little bit more invested in a particular area, um, and that's I suppose, what that player leadership model is trying to achieve, um, then you get consistency, a message from them. You get, you know, and ultimately they're not going to decide like, you know, okay, we're going to give you a slot there, lads, where you can do something. Like, they're not going to say, well, let's, let's play Harland for 20 minutes. Or, you know, generally speaking, it'll be, well, oh, let's go to three teams of 12 and uh, let's go because, you know, we've done this before. And again, it wouldn't be the first session you'd started off with them. Um, I was never brave enough to do it with the 20s, but, you know, I, I did five years of the R schools. And as I was getting to the end of that, I was pretty confident and comfortable in, uh, I suppose, what, what I was doing with those groups. And, uh, you know, it certainly was something that I, I felt was effective with that, that particular group anyway. Did it take a while to identify the leaders or did they stand up straight away if you know? Like, was it, I suppose, like, did, did, did they make themselves known to, you know, especially in that setting, you know, where they're coming from all around? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great question, Colm. And uh, again, there's, there's some of the art in, in this because I, I wouldn't, the, the leaders of pick would not necessarily always be the most vocal, um, you know, and, and, uh, you're trying to get a balance with the Irish team. You know, you want a balance of, of people from different provinces. You want a balance of people from different backgrounds. You want a balance of people from different positions. Um, I've tried lots of different things. I've, I've tried people voting. I've tried uh, so on. But I, I think that was probably, um, I'm sure you lads have heard of the idea behind Rebel Ideas, um, you know, and that diversity of, of, of groupthink. So, you know, that would certainly be something that, you know, I would, I would buy into, you know. So if you can have a... A wide variety of of uh, just of different perspectives, and and it's not always um, it's not always the obvious ones. It's not always the people that have the most lip or the most uh, you know sometimes the guys who think they're leaders. You know, and, and even you know the most recent Irish twenties probably two guys that were pretty obsessed not to be in the leadership group. Um, one of the other things I would feel pretty strongly about is like 
the leadership group versus the operational group. My first year with Irish 20s, like we used to spend time talking about, oh, the bus is late today or, oh, you know, we'd know tomato sauce. It used to drive me mental, you know, oh, dinner, you know, can we get the orange cordial with the, uh, with the mango in it? It's like, so we put in an ops group and I'd fuck, I, I, I didn't sit in it. Lads, you deal with all the logistical stuff you deal with. <laughs> Whether we wore the right kit to train in or the wrong kit to train in, I don't care. The leadership group will deal with 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 rugby and 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 and, and the lads and where we're at and if anybody's struggling or if anybody needs, you know, X, Y, or Z. And I think that had a big impact and that kind of changed a little bit. Maybe some of the personalities that, you know, some people just they want to have a moan about the fact that they can't wear their sliders in the in the restaurant. Uh, and those guys got involved in the ops group and, and uh, yeah, as I said, the leadership group. Um, so th the main criteria, I suppose, um, was was more around diversity, was more around people that, um, you know, had a point of view, I suppose, as well, uh, Colin, to be honest, you, you know, and, and uh, had an ability to articulate that. Um, we didn't nail it down for a while. You know, we would have had a number of camps and people would have dipped in and out and we got a feel for, like, oh, we would have started every week with a leadership uh, meeting so you know I would have presented maybe a couple of teams and uh, maybe got you know got some feedback from the lads what you reckon about this or what are your thoughts here and um, yeah then it, it kind of just emerged I suppose over a period of time um, but with a with a very simple philosophy that it was about rugby it was, it was about what was on the pitch and it was about the lads basically that was the, the key um, anything else take us take it to the ops group as well, though, like we, we say with that Irish under under twenty team, and you, you you have a captain and a real leader who gets injured with a significant injury. What how did how did you use him after that? Yeah, it was a really tough. Uh, it was a really tough one, Paul. To be honest, like we were playing France that week, um, which you know was probably the deciding game in the in, in the championship, and uh, David got injured. Um, and we probably knew it was a bad one from the get-go. We'd also lost Harry Byrne in the same training session. So okay. I decided in my wisdom uh, on the Monday to announce the team. So I announced the team. Um, I said, listen, we're going to get it out early this week. We're going to, this is a massive week, uh, beat France and, you know, everything kind of falls into place for us. So I named the team and within 20 minutes, three of them are gone. Um, and it was just like, oh no. So yeah, I, I think... That because of the leadership system that we had in place, you know, we just had guys who could step up. You know, Charlie Ryan st stepped up and he, he was magnificent as, as captain. Craig Casey, uh, equally, Scott Penny, um, you know, uh, Liam Turner was also in that leadership group. You know, th there was just, an, and again, I've made the mistakes, to be honest about it, Paul. Like, you know, I, I, there's an obsession with captaincy in Ireland. Like, you know, the amount of times you get asked about it, who's going to be captain, who's going to be captain, like as if he's going to put on a magical cloak and all of a sudden, you know, be able to be teamed on his own. Unfortunately, it's, it's just, I, I think it's it's really overplayed and certainly overplayed in in, in youth sport. Um, you know, I remember uh, as a, been appointed as a captain in, in a Gaelic football game. I think it was under 14, but I asked somebody, was there an armband? Because uh, obviously my association <laughs> with uh, with people being captains was having an armband. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's um, I, I definitely think it helps. And, and in a game like rugby where there's, you know, there's such a difference really. Like, you know, you think of some of the really good captains, like of Issa Nathewa, who, who was a fantastic captain for Leinster, but like, he's not going to be going into referee talking about you know, the tight five or the scrum or, or uh, you know, the line out or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, so like in, in any team, you're going to have a, a significant number that are, uh, are, are are taxed with that. But yeah, that certainly was, um, it, it was a really interesting week and, and it, it really tested, I suppose, the confidence in, like for me, and, and, you know, this was evident in the movie as well, like, you know, you become your habits on a Friday night. So how you prepare and how you train ultimately is is how you're going to turn up. Um, you know, there's no magic switch. There's nothing you can you can do. So we just had to believe in, in the people that we're training. We had to believe in in, in um, you know, and, and so we named a new team on Tuesday, and we uh, we, we we just fired on from there. And that probably links back to to the film again with the I can't think of his name. The, the small blondy fella who wasn't the most. Ollie. Talented, we'll say what was it. Ollie. Ollie. Yeah, Ollie coming in and he does the job in the in, in the clutch situation after a few hours before that. But having them fellas to step up is 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 very important as 
we, we've kind of said a lot of times on, on the show, you know. Yeah, exactly. We, we we would talk about the power of the bibs. So you know, there 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 was you know the lads used to used to use the phrase of of uh, of being the the best possible bibs or, or the best bibs in in in, uh, in the competition. Um, and you know, they certainly would have worked hard at pushing the team. And you know. I've used the phrase an awful lot, lads, to be honest, you know, like the definition of a team for me is when you continue to contribute when your own selfish needs are no longer being met. And, you know, in, in, in team sport, that's when you're not picked. That's, but you know, what does being part of a team mean? Well, being part of a team means you continue to contribute and your job now is to prepare the team. And, and that's like, you know, lots of people have selfless written on the wall. That's, that's what, selfless is like that's that's what it looks like that's is in action so you know when you talk about the culture of a team well the culture of a team is it's how you do things it's it's what are the actions what are the behaviors what are the habits um and you know again that's something to put place a a big emphasis on and and we we know you know we all know from coaching teams that you know you might have somebody who's number x y or z in a panel and all of a sudden they become unbelievably important but if they haven't felt important or if they haven't felt like they're part of it from the start, it's very difficult for them to perform. And I think that's something that Norman did really well in, in the movie was he, he, he met Ollie feel, even though Ollie was kind of, you know, having a crack at the start and, oh, well, I'm just here as a mascot and blah, blah. He's like, no, no, you're part of the team. And he trained and he prepared. And, you know, there's, there's a really interesting part of it when uh, he's been interviewed by the media afterwards and all of a sudden he's turned into a little bit of a star, um, you know, which, which uh, obviously... Um, happens as well um you know I, I think one of you lads mentioned at the start like about you know, i think it was you must even talking about you know the, what happens in in the group and, and the importance of, of what's inside the group and that's something I, I would strongly believe in as well you know like uh, treat treat praise and, and criticism from outside the group with equal contempt um you know because both have the ability to to unstick you um you know so ultimately that you know what really matters is is what people within the group think and feel and um you know how you're making your your, your teammates feel and and and, uh, and so on so um yeah definitely definitely um something that i would feel is, is is very important how do you build up that um responsibility within the group Noel? like because obviously look when you're working as i say with your time with school boys and stuff like that you're getting the best player from all of these different sections and all of a sudden it's the first setback for a lot of them when they're told you're not starting or you're not the star player how what kind of have you any tips on how you would develop or what you have done to develop that team ethos um amongst the group yeah i think there's there's a couple of things um i I think the connection of the group is important um you know we we would have actually used somebody in that space um guy called ronan conway uh, who actually hurled for cork um uh, he's he's re- really good guy, but he, he he works in in that area. We would have brought him in a couple of times, and he did some connection workshops with the group, and and it definitely was something that uh, I think you know we would have benefited from. So bringing the group together, I think having a you know a clear identity, a clear purpose. Um, you know, I was really interested in the movie when when they spoke about their why. Uh, you know, towards the end of the movie, they they shared their why, and you know, again, I, I would have been coming from the perspective of. Or, you know, your purpose has to be positive or it has to be intrinsically motivated or, you know, and we would have done it. We would have workshopped it a few times and, and you know, um, there's, there's a, a great um, book by, by, uh, by Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And, uh, you know, they talk about purpose and talk about why. And we would have delved into that a little bit. And some of the stuff was, was really negative. You know, it was kind of like, oh, I want to prove people wrong or, you know, people said I couldn't do it and that's why I want to do it. But, you know, there's something quite powerful in sharing that. There's something quite powerful in, well, do you know what? This is my why. This is why I'm doing it. And, and you know, well, actually, I, I heard Paul's why and he spoke about his family. And actually, my family is really important to me, too. And, you know, that, that kind of strengthens our connection and it strengthens my why a little bit. Because, you know, maybe whilst I thought I was proving my under 14 coach wrong, well, actually, do you know what? I don't really care about him anymore. You know, there's other things that are more important to me and, and my own, my own, um, sense of, of 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 value and and so on but you know we had a we had a jersey and, and the lads wrote up their their purpose on the jersey and and that was something that you know was just kept in the team room it didn't didn't go any further than that on a little mannequin um so i think that was certainly something that um 
you know, that 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 I suppose gave people something more than 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 just uh, their own, I suppose, selfish needs for for want of a better phrase. Like they were they were playing for for something something a little bit more. Um, you know, I do think honesty and 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 the feedback is 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 so important as well, uh, Colm. You know, I, I just think ultimately, um, you know, if, if somebody's not being picked. Um, you know, it's just, it's fronting up and it's giving, you know, genuine informed feedback and, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but it, it's, it's been prepared to, I think when you get to the stage where it's like, um, I'm not even going to bother with him now, you know, he doesn't expect to be picked or, you know, players like, well, actually, John, I'm not going to go for feedback because the last time he just gave me waffle. So, you know, um, I, I do think that's really important as well. And, and, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be actionable. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of it will will come back down to the environment that's been created as well. And certainly, you know, we wouldn't have got it right all the time. Um, you know, there's lots of times where I look back and think, oh, you know. But I, I think having the ability to reflect on that as well is probably important. And you know, Eddie Eddie, or sorry, Declan Kidney had a great phrase: uh, "Experience is what you get when you get what you didn't want." Um, you know, so yeah, I think. Definitely uh, an element of, of, of learning from the, the, the times you got it wrong as well, I suppose. That's a good way of describing it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dickie had a way with words. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm fairly experienced. Is there anything else from the movie, lads, that you thought uh, we could relate back? Um, like I said, there was, it was, there was a lot of coaching in it. Um, was there anything in particular stood out? Yeah, I love the way when the... Um, they went to the stadium, the big stadium, and the coach got out the measuring tape and he asked them how far was the free throw line, how far it was to the net. And he just explained this is the exact same we've been practicing their own court at home. And I think often players, when they go play in a, a big stadium or whatever, like you play, say you're playing championship underage and you're suddenly you're playing in Pierce Stadium or playing in Court Park Queen or something the players get overawed and I think you just have to bring it back to say, look, the same pitches are practicing on the whole time. I thought that was brilliantly done in the film. Yeah. There's a fantastic speech by Ray Silk. I don't remember he played football for Galway, but he, he talked about the same white line. Uh, you know, it's the same white line we crossed in Port Leash. It's the same white line we crossed the Pier Stadium. It's the same white line when, when they went up to Crow Park. And I definitely agree with you, Massey. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was brilliant. Um, we, we would have done walkovers at a lot of places. Just it's amazing how the lads get spooked by it, isn't it? But even yeah. even just being at the stadium and just walking around, and you know the out half gets to kick a couple of balls, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, it's fine, it's, it's anyway. the same. But if you don't do it, yeah. you, get, you get caught up in it. Yeah. Rugby's been big always on on home advantage as well, hasn't it? Like I remember, like whatever a decade ago, sure, Munster were never betting Tomlin Park. You know, um, and like it is, it is a thing, and it's not, it's not necessarily the pitch; it's everything that goes around the pitch, and, and getting that mentality to ignore and that kind of get rid of that that noise is is easier said than done. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Like we, we would have spoken a lot about when we moved to Cork about trying to create. You know, a wave basically was the image that we used, and we want to get in front of that wave. We want to make it a really difficult place to to play and a difficult place to be for for opposition. And we're talking about you know you can't expect that just to happen. You got to give something to make that happen. You got to you know give something for people to get behind. You know, and we would have spoke about you know what kind what type of behaviors do you think people would like to get behind and. You know, it's all it's all simple stuff, really. You want to see people work hard. They want to see people, you know, be prepared to 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 be physical or or get back into the defensive line, or they want to, you know, what's going to get them out of their seat and what's going to make it uncomfortable for the opposition, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I don't know whether it's the protector mindset or around that home advantage, but you know, there definitely is something, and it, it has been. I think there's been studies done since the pandemic. Um, you know, there's a lot more away teams winning yeah. than had been in the past. Yes, so it'd be interesting to see next year how teams prepare when they're going away from homes. Like say, over the last couple of years, Anfield has been a fortress for Liverpool, and 
to some say it's down to the crowd, whatever it was, it's a good team. But this year, with no crowd there, they've lost a lot of games there. I wonder what teams go to Anfield now, approach and say, look, we know we can do this now and just beat them in the crowd with no impact whatsoever. And the same for other sports, like as say when Munster got beaten first, like that aura is now gone in Tolman Park, if you get me. Uh, say when Mayo beat Galway in tune for the first time in 50 odd years back in say 20 years ago, that aura was now gone, that bubble is now burst. So I think it's just a matter of that happening. So it's going to be very interesting next year to see what way it develops when crowds are back, hopefully. Yeah, 100%. And that, that aura is an interesting thing. Like I, I heard Stephen Hendry talking about it recently, about, you know, when, when he was playing uh, snooker, just, you know, having that aura that he, he could beat players before, you know, they ever even, um, I don't know how you start a, a frame of snooker. Do you strike off? Yeah, what's, uh, yeah. Break off, break off. Break off, there we go, there we go. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely is one. But I, I wonder as well, Massey, like, is there an element of, like, how Liverpool play being tied into, you know, with the high press, with the energy from the crowd. Like, it yeah. doesn't seem to have affected Man City at all because no. how they train, it, it, it seems to be like, you know, what from what I know of them, and it's not an awful lot, but like, you know, how they train under Pep is basically, that's how they play. Like, it's it's almost identical. They're, 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 you know, their preparation. Whereas Liverpool, I can't imagine Liverpool train the way they play. You'd be absolutely right. Knackered, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Colin, you, have your own, you have your own uh, theories there, Colin. I don't think you should share them tonight. No, yeah. they can be libelous. So, <laughs> yeah. um, there as well today, actually. Um, and sorry for bringing it up, uh, Noel, just about Corrigan Park and Antrim. And it like it was described as Antrim made it a horrible place to go to. And you know, for that underdog, um, having that bit of an element, I suppose it's. It's there in a number of places. It can be a it can be a leveler for for some teams. Like there, there, there's no there's no question. Like like uh, you know, if you go to the away changing room in Tolman Park, there's a massive pillar in the middle of it, so you can't see people on the other side. Um, we, we played in Franklin's Gardens uh, this year uh, against the English Twenties, and it's just a it's a massive L. So you can see like half your team are here, and then there's a big long corridor where the rest of them are sitting. Like. You know, I remember somebody told me Middlesbrough, they painted it yellow, green and brown because it make you feel sick. So <laughs> there's, there's there's lots of different uh, strategies of, of uh, I think uh, even, was it Clive Woodward? He used to pipe uh, lavender into uh, the changing rooms to try and make people sleepy at the away <laughs> changing rooms. And the home changing rooms got peppermint piped in to try and pep them up. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of uh, different... Uh, all wives' tales, but uh, you know, I, I definitely think there is a familiarity, isn't there? Like, you know, it, it is more comfortable that whole piece of you know sleeping in your own bed, being at home. Um, you, you know, people are creatures of habit, you know, and and uh, you know, there's lots of people have all kinds of superstitions. And I remember certainly Paul Ince's one, wasn't he? He used to put on his jersey until he got to that's, uh, that's and he got, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I definitely think um, you know, that's an element. I remember we, we visited Claremont um and um they they've a, a unbelievable uh, change in facility, but they had this massive poster in in the corner of their uh, of their gym and it was just you know, this is our house, this is our home. Um, and it was something that had come from, I think they're sponsored by Under Armour and it had come from uh, one of the American football teams. I was asking, why is it not in French? But, uh, you know, that was, they had an unbelievably proud re home record, uh, you, you know, at the Stade Marcel Michelin. It, it, you know, they went well, almost two years, I think, without uh, without a home defeat. And, and there was just this, you know, la defense. You know, we're we're defending our home. Basically, um, was was kind of the the major theme that they had. It's fascinating in France as well. You know, where like you can, you know, some of the teams like let's say they'll they'll beat Toulouse at home and then they'll go away and they'll get smashed by Lyon or you know because it's it's like it, when you play at home, everyone's interested. You know, the the local butcher, the local baker, the everybody. You know, whereas it's like, uh, was there even a game this week when they play away? You know, there's just such a different psychology around the two. Um, so, yeah, it, it is. It is going to be interesting uh, whether whether some of that dynamic has has changed. Um, you know, and, and time will tell, I suppose. Certainly, the referee impact as well, Massey, I think, is something too, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. We also get to see at the moment without crowds, 
some of the behaviour of people on the touchline is pretty abhorrent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, I think like the, the whole referee dynamic is a big thing as well. Like they're mm. nice and calm there. And I wonder, is it will they take many learnings from it going on to next year, or will we see all of a sudden that all the home teams are getting more penalties again next year, for example? Yeah. But it's just it's just how teams go on a roll and how it just builds up and develops. Like as Manchester United at the moment, like you expect them to go one down away from home, but it's built into the mind and all the media are talking about, oh, should they're going to come back and win because they have this big record now. It's just they're on a roll about that and they're probably buying into it themselves and they have that belief and teams they're playing against are probably always having their mind there. You can see in the League of Ireland at the moment, Shamrock Rovers are getting a mount of goals like in injury time to win matches and like it's must, you know, it's just the psychology of teams is just, it's, it's brilliant. Like it's just, it's really fascinating. Well, it- it is, and like you talk about uh, the Fergie documentary is coming out soon, you know. But like you see him standing at the edge, and he's he's tapping at his watch, and he's yeah. he's his veins are bulging out at the side of his head, and and uh, you know all, all of these, uh, I suppose, symbolisms become synonymous with with exactly what you're saying there. You know, late goals, or and then it, it's almost I think I used the phrase at the start: whether you believe or you you can or you can't, you're probably right. And, uh, you know, there's almost an inevitability about some of these things. Like I, I saw Villa score on the weekends, like the wintry one, or, you know, you almost yeah. be more worried if United scored first now um, at this stage, you know, if, if you were a United fan. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's certainly um, momentum is, is, is a fascinating thing as well, you know, in games and having the ability to, I suppose, the ability to keep that momentum. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, look at that La Rochelle game recently, you know, with, with Leinster and, uh, you know, La Rochelle got the momentum and Leinster ultimately struggled to, I suppose, to to, to regain it. Um, you know, probably struggled a little bit with with uh, with, with, with some of the, the, the refereeing decisions as well, particularly in the second half. But it, it is it is fascinating. And, uh, you know, the, the, the crowd have always played a part in that. And I think that will continue. You know, I, de- I definitely think, you know, no matter how good the referee is, having the ability to not be influenced certainly when you know in an All-Ireland final when it's 50-50 maybe less so but like when there are you know whatever it is in, in Tolman Park in, in those games it'd be 20 odd thousand Munster fans and a handful of of, uh, of of Frenchmen it's very difficult not to be swayed yeah. by the, the weight of opinion The relationship with um, with Shooter and getting Shooter involved um, was, was really intriguing and even like him getting back, we'll say, somewhat sober, and then his contribution and and um, Norm constantly looking to give him more responsibility. There, there was a lot there, and you know I don't fully understand all of his decision making around it, but he did have a plan around it. It was it was intriguing. Yeah, d- d- definitely, and you know, I, I think. Um... You know, I, I would agree there. One of the things for me that, that I suppose I would have um, challenged over the last while is uh, just we changed the name. So from management team to support team, um, you know, and, and I suppose deliberately changed the name because ultimately we're not trying to manage uh, people, we're trying to support them. You know, and it was our responsibility as, as a group of, whatever, you know, the Irish 20s, I think there's 12 people there. So we're the support team and it's our responsibility to support them to be the best possible version of themselves, whatever that might look like. I'm trying to manage their days or, or, or anything else. So, um, you know, we worked hard, hard at, I suppose, collectively as a group, um, getting on the same page, um, you know, from everybody. And, and, you know, I mentioned before about the themes, we would have had a, a theme for the week, maybe, um, you know, or a, a theme for a game and trying to have everybody on, on that page. So like, you know, whether you have the bag man, he's really clear on what the team is and he can reinforce it. The physio, everybody that had an interaction with the players was on the same page. Um, and, uh, you know, we found as well, you know, the first person that a player meets in the morning is actually the S&C guy. Uh, you know, and if he's pissed off in bad form or whatever, it immediately has an impact on everybody else because he's down there doing the, the wellness and, uh, you know, whatever else uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. And, yeah, just it, it was again something that probably hadn't really considered that much. Um, so I, I definitely think uh, the impact that everybody can have is massive, and I, I, I would extend that not just to assistant coaches. I would extend that all the way through the group. Um, and you know, the, the more positive that can be. I, I read a story uh, during the week. I don't know if you saw it. It was around Brendan Rogers, but uh, Brendan Rogers was talking about uh, when he moved to Leicester. There was 
a couple of loads of boxes left around. And uh, basically he, he spoke to the cleaners and he just said, listen, guys, you know, you have a really important role in how we prepare the team. If you can, you know, clean up the area and, you know, that the environment is a really positive place and, you know, it's going to be really important in terms of, of, of how we go as a team. And they were thrilled because they'd been told all these really important documents, you can't move them. But he made them feel like, you know, you're really part of the team. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think that's something in, in terms of, of the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the Norman and, um, and Shooter, I'm not sure around it either, Paul, to be honest, you know, like getting himself deliberately sent off was certainly an interesting uh, tactic in terms of delegating responsibility. And I'm not sure whether he believed um, the Shooter was better than him or whether he really wanted to help him, um, you know, and, and help him find a little bit more. In, in, in terms of his own purpose and help him, help him out of the situation that he was in. But it certainly was fascinating how he went about it. Um, you know, and, and I think it can definitely be extended out to, because there's so many people now involved in teams, isn't there? Like even, even really young teams, like you've got from analysts and S&C coaches and doctors and medics. And, you know, we would have had a thing as well. Like we, we want the people to attend the team meetings where possible. So if there was a doctor who's given a message on the pitch, he kind of knew what he was talking about. And, and you know, we've got a couple of really good ones and, you know, maybe not so much, but same with physios and, and so on. Like ideally, if they can come into meetings and have an idea, you know, all, all the little bits and pieces matter and count at the end of the day, don't they? Good. Yeah. Um, Noel, you have to up your game with 12 in the support team, man. They're, they're rookie numbers. you got you got junior, junior club teams around here with more than 12 in their support team. Um, but I suppose, yeah. as you said, it probably helps keep everything focused on the message that you're, you're trying to get down when it's, when it's a kind of a tighter group. Yeah, I, I definitely agree as well, Colin. I, mean, like, I, I feel the same about coaching as well, to be honest with you. I think, you know, having five six coaches where everyone wants their pound of flesh like everyone wants uh, you know well you know we've got a we've got a kicking coach we've got a, a contact coach we've got a attack coach defense coach unit coach we've got this coach we've got a you know a goalie coach we've got a puck out coach we've got a you know aerial skills coach it's it's bonkers really yeah. like you know at, at the end of the day i think it, it's so hard to you know how do you get cohesion in a coaching group how do you get consistency of message how do you get you know so yeah, I, I would definitely be a fan of of um, less is more in, in, in that area. And uh, ideally having a real collective um, collective position. Like I, I love that, let, let, let's say, you know, let, let, let's say the, the, the concept is is uh, bully to bully. Well, you know, like everybody's on point with that all week. Like that's, you know, the, the bag man is, is saying as we're going in off the pitch on a Tuesday, we're going to bully the bully this week, boys. And all of a sudden, you've got that surround sound of of uh, of, of of clarity, really. Excellent. Um, look, no, thanks very much for your, for your time. I think if if the biggest problem you're going to have is fellas wanting orange mango instead of orange cordial, um, <laughs> I, I think you've got a real first world problem there that you'll be all right. But um, look, as I said, other than that, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, and look, as I said, best of luck with uh, next with the upcoming. Season? Are you still in season? What's 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 upcoming for you? Yeah, we're we're, we're still in season. Uh, yeah, obviously Rainbow Cup is ongoing, so we've we've a couple of lads in the academy involved in that. Uh, the sevens are, are currently uh, you know aiming for Olympic qualification, so we've a couple of lads involved in that. And the new twenties uh, Six Nations taking place uh, over in Wales in a couple of weeks' time, so a couple of academy lads in that. So yeah, and and, and then hopefully you know as things start to reopen, we'll start to be able to. You know, start to open up some of the development pathways and all that kind of stuff uh, again, and, and hopefully we'll we'll see summer programs taking place and, and a little bit more rugby happening, basically. Excellent, super. Thanks, Noel. Best of luck. No problem. We are into season four now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on, on Twitter or just share with your friends. It would also be great if you could give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us, and we'd really appreciate that. Hope you all have a great week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday when we're talking to John Murphy and we're watching The Big Green. See you next week, everybody.